Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. Happy New Year. I can't believe that it's been a few weeks since we've been in touch. Yes, Happy New Year. It feels like we haven't talked in a hundred years, but at the same time, it feels like just yesterday we were talking about the winter solstice and Christmas witches. I'm always a little sad to leave Yule behind, but I'm also looking forward to what I hope will be a very magical year. Definitely. And I'm very excited because today we have an old friend of mine on the show, photographer Francis F. Denny. Welcome, Francis. Thank you both so much for having me. This is a huge, huge thrill for me. Thank you. And where are you calling in from today? I'm in Pound Ridge, New York. Amazing. Not too far. <laughs> Mm-mm. So to give a little bit of background and introduction to Francis, uh, Francis F. Denny is an artist and a photographer whose work investigates female identities. Her work is represented by Clamp Art in New York City. Francis's first monograph, Let Virtue Be Your Guide, was published in 2016 by Radius Books. Her second book, Major Arcana, Portraits of Witches in America, was released November 2020 by Andrews McNeil Publishing. She is the recipient of a New York Foundation for the Arts 2016 Fellowship in Photography and has won numerous awards, including PDN's 30 Lens Culture, Emerging Talent, Magenta Flash Forward, and Critical Mass. She received an MFA from Rhode Island School of Design and currently lives in New York, where she balances her art practice and work as an editorial and commercial photographer. And now for the friend introduction. (laughs) Frances and I just met over four years ago, five years ago, here in New York, and we were introduced through a mutual friend, an herbalist, and so we ended up getting to have tea together. I remember, uh, Francis, when you told me a bit about your project and a little bit about your photography and art, and we talked about word witchery. When you asked me to be a part of the project, I remembered being so nervous and also so excited. I definitely did not know how to be in my space yet, but I was so grateful because your presence as a photographer and artist was so grounded, and I truly felt like you saw me as a witch. And now, today, flipping through Major Arcana in its physical form, I feel so grateful for this piece of art around witchcraft that you've created. The witches within the pages are friends of mine, people whose work I admire, read and study myself, and witches who are practicing in ways that were new to me. I love how Major Arcana allows the witch to mean in so many ways, and how it shows that being a witch is a radical act. I saw that in so many different forms and expressions when I read the book, 
which was really an inspiring and humbling experience, which also felt like a rallying cry. That means a lot to hear, Kate. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, And can I just say that it was such an honor to get to know you through this project. And um, I'm grateful to you and to each and every person who agreed to be part of it. It's not easy in this day and age to be publicly out as a witch. And, And sometimes I feel like for me, it's easy to forget that, you know, since I've been in this project so deeply for so many years, I, I can forget how how hard it is to be or what's at stake to be being out as a witch. But I think it's it is important to remember that there is so much at stake, uh, especially in our current political climate. Yes, exactly. Can you tell us a little bit about your art in your own words and your identity around witchcraft? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you kind of mentioned with my bio, you know, my work as an artist for a long time has looked at the formation of female identities and selfhood, usually by examining the various factors that kind of impact that development. So sometimes it's it's looking at that through the lens of family, as my first book, Let Virtue Be Your Guide, did. And sometimes it's looking at selfhood through the lenses of other cultural or historical influences. Um, I guess I became interested in thinking about the witch as a kind of proto-feminist archetype years ago when I was researching my family's ancestry for my first book. And it was during that research process that I made the unfortunate discovery that my 10th great-grandfather was one of the judges in the Salem Witch Trials. And I also realized that my 8th great-grandmother was accused of witchcraft around the same time in Northampton, Massachusetts. So that coincidence at the time didn't really sit so easily with me. Um, And I kind of tucked it away and came back to it. I was reminded actually a few years later when I was reading historian Stacey Schiff's book on the Salem Witch Trials, because of course, one of the central characters she wrote about was my ancestor, Samuel Sewell. So that moment was really my jumping off point um, in kind of reconsidering the witch, not only as this historical character, but, you know, as people who actually exist in flesh and blood today. So I wondered, you know, who are these people who are identifying as witches? And and what does that even mean? (laughs) And what what does a practice of, of witchcraft entail? So I was just inspired to kind of crack this old dusty sort of archetype open so I could with my camera shed some light on this topic that I feel is so vastly misunderstood and kind of shrouded with stereotype and baggage. And I think now is a good moment just to pause and and point out that I do use female pronouns for the witch when I talk about her in a general way because of the kind of undeniable historical association that word has with the female. But uh, within the scope of my project, I, I also included non-binary and trans folks, too. So I just just wanted to point that out. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm also wondering if I can ask, like, um, what was that decision process like? Like, so you read in in the book and then it was reminded that you should go back and look at it or did something else shift and change in you? Like, what what was that experience like? 
Well, I was, so I was doing research um, about my family's ancestry in New England for my first book, which really looks at um, the women in my family and the specific femininity that they kind of embody. And so I was researching my ancestry and, and made that discovery in this document that my father had compiled many years ago. Um, and it felt like a kind of juicy discovery, but it didn't necessarily make sense to be a part of that project, but it felt like something I knew was unresolved and wanted to come back to at a later point. It felt like such a big thing that it almost, you know, deserved its own project, which of mm-hmm. course it, it ended up getting. So, um, but yeah, there were a couple of years that went by before that book came out and I was kind of able to sort of turn my attention to that. And, and yeah, Stacey Schiff's book really was what reminded me of it actually. Mm-hmm. And and what was it like photographing these witches? I mean, it was such an adventure and and quite a wild ride. Um, I was I was so lucky to win a grant in 2016 that helped fund some of the travel that was necessary to photograph people around the country for the project. Um, but I will say, at the beginning, it was tricky finding people to photograph since I was really coming to this world of witchcraft as a complete outsider. That said, you know, I I started with people I knew. So, you know, I did have people in my life that I kind of thought would would understand what I was talking about when I was talking about witches, because some people still, I still get like weird looks when I'm talking about witches, you know. But so I started with people I knew. And then, you know, I also scouted people at witchcraft festivals and occult stores and and even on Instagram but but really how the project grew was by word of mouth um once I met people or rather once once I had photographed them they were kind of happy to introduce me to their witch friends so pretty quickly that was how the project grew quite organically and then I kind of developed what I I like to call a kind of like which radar that would <laughs> that would go off when I would maybe meet someone new or come across someone who I kind of thought would like it. And really what I mean by rich radar is like an intuition is mm-hmm. frankly like all it was. But, you know, I would meet someone and be like, oh, this is a person who's going to get it. You know, this is a person who's going to understand what I'm talking about and and who would kind of like probably ascribe to being a witch in the way that I was very loosely defining it within the context of this project. Kristen and I call it the witch wide web. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so Francis, I know that my co-host is one of the many witches that you photographed for this book. And I'm just curious, what was it like to be invited into the homes and sacred spaces of all these magical people? I mean, it was a total honor. And um, I was so surprised by how many people not only wanted to have their portraits made in their homes, but but how much, you know, trust they put into me, because I, of course, was, in most cases, a perfect stranger, and and they to me as well, you know, and I, I felt really comfortable entering those spaces and, and those places with them. And from the jump, I should say with the project, it was it was so critical to me to make these portrait sessions as collaborative as possible with my subjects so that they really kind of had hand in how they were being represented within the context of the project, you know, a project which from the get-go was witches in America, you know. So so whenever logistically possible, 
um, people would choose the location of their shoot and would decide what they'd like to wear um, to be photographed. And, you know, the idea was that those choices would kind of represent something about them or be resonant with their practice of witchcraft. I also almost always began the shoots with a really informal, you could barely call it an interview, a, a really a conversation so I could get to know them, but also, you know, from a photography perspective to kind of put them at ease a little bit, feel them out, you know, before I took out my camera. For, for anyone who's had their picture taken, you'll, you'll know it can be a little bit uh, off-putting to have a big fancy camera pointed in your face. So I think it was a really important part of of my process to have those conversations. They also ended up inspiring me later to kind of go back to my subjects and invite them to contribute written accounts for the book, which you'll see next to about three quarters of the portraits. And I, I do think that the inclusion of their voices, your voice, Kate, I mean, your, your text is so incredible. You know, those, those texts make the book so much richer because it becomes not just a book of images. And I love that I am not speaking for you, you know, you're speaking for yourself. So yeah, I mean, I think by, by meeting my portrait subjects in their chosen spaces or places, I learned a lot about them and, and in some cases their crafts. On more than one occasion, I left a shoot with like a signed book from an author, <laughs> which, or, um, I mean, I was pregnant for a good stretch of this project with my daughter. There were several individuals who gave me like these beautiful homemade tinctures and teas and snacks during these sessions. So it was, um, like I said, I just feel really uh, humbled and, and grateful for how generous and open and trusting everyone really was of me. So what was the biggest challenge and what was the biggest surprise? So I think like what I would say kind of is both the biggest challenge and surprise on some level. Um, I was fascinated to realize how, how mixed the feelings are in the witch world regarding the mainstreaming of witchcraft in general. I think as many of your listeners are probably aware, there have been so many books and articles about modern witchcraft in recent years that reflect this huge surge of interest in the subject. But, you know, as it turned out, not all of the witches that I met were super happy about the idea that witchcraft is becoming less kind of counterculture and fringe and, and more mainstream, especially when their practices are being commodified, appropriated, stolen by, in some cases, like giant corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on the other hand, I've also spoken to witches who, while skeptical of that kind of newfound trendiness, also appreciate that it makes being out as a witch less taboo. You know, it literally makes it safer to identify as a witch out in the world if more people are doing so. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I met several women who had faced discrimination for their beliefs. One nearly had her child taken from her in court because of her witchcraft. And I think it's it's so important to recognize that while there are two sides to this argument regarding witchcraft's surge in popularity, it really does, at the end of the day, for me, kind of help normalize this practice that has been so misunderstood and vilified. But it's it's so thorny because, you know, that said, there there really does need to be more of an awareness um, as witchcraft is taken up by a broader audience, specifically, you know, 
with more attention paid to attribution and respect for indigenous culture. So it's this really thorny thing that, um, you know, I had to also navigate for as someone who was coming to this as an outsider, publishing a book about witchcraft and witches. And I have struggled with the idea that, that perhaps I too am on some level capitalizing on the trendiness. And I hate to keep repeating that word trendiness because I think <laughs> you and, and your listeners understand that there's there's such a spectrum of of how people can engage with this. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I really just mean that there's just a, such a surge of interest in it. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, I have made peace with myself because I think that this book treats its subjects with a great deal of respect and nuance and is illuminating about this topic that needs to be understood. While at the same time, I, I think also, you know, intentionally leave some mystery around my subjects because I think there's power in that mystery and, and I don't want to kind of explain it all away. So I hope that wasn't too long of an answer, but, um, <laughs> but, but that's sort of my general sense of like what, what the biggest kind of hurdle was and surprise and the thing that I kind of had to grapple with in taking this project on. No, that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and I think it's something kind of that many of us um, in the space are dealing with in one way or another on a daily basis in our practices, Mm. kind of working with working our way back and uncovering and, you know, how much mystery or the liminal to like leave. I don't know. That's not a clear Mm. thought, but (laughs) I do think about it as well. And so I appreciate I appreciate that. No, but I think you're, I mean, I think that's just it. I think to engage with witchcraft is to engage with those kinds of conversations. And, um, and I think that like, we all just need to keep being engaged with it. And, you know, it brings more magic to the world. So that's also a beautiful thing. Mm. The more people that are engaged with it. And did this project kind of inform anything about how you approach the magical or the mystical or the radical? I guess I'd say that I that doing this book has helped me be more comfortable with seeing things with a greater degree of ambiguity. Or maybe a better way to put it is to say that I can better appreciate the kind of gray area. You know, mm-hmm. life is not black and white or made up of binaries and it can be easy to sort of see things that way. So I think that it's helped me resist that temptation. Um And I also feel like I have a better understanding of how to surrender to the things I can't control. I'll just share that towards the end of this project, I gave birth to my daughter and had a really awful um, childbirth trauma. And Mm -hmm. I was homebound for many months and and there was just nothing I could do but surrender to that and heal and rest. And that goes very counter to my nature as a person. But I I do think that like being steeped in some of these sensibilities helped me surrender to that moment. Mm -hmm. I remember meeting up with you in Manhattan kind of after this period of rest and talking about that, which is also funny because I just am now remembering you being like, I think it's going to be a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And I also hadn't had the show yet because the exhibition had, um, was like, it happened after I gave birth. Yeah, that's right. So yes, it was still being birthed itself. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I know my opinions on this, but do you think photography is a bit like magic then? Absolutely. (laughs) Fundamentally, yes. I mean, I think, like, how could you not? Photography is the recording of images written in light um, at its most elemental and analog, you know, film being developed in a dark room. Photography is completely magical, even when you understand the kind of chemistry and science behind what is happening. Uh, And I think the act of photographing is a kind of magical practice too, especially for me, at least when I'm photographing people. When I'm taking a portrait, I feel as if I'm holding space for that person. There's a language being spoken that is intuitive and energetic, that is not verbal, that really requires me being in tune with myself and also super receptive to whomever I'm photographing. And so how you saw yourself and your personal magic before and after the process of the book, did that change then as well? On some level, I think so. I mean, I've never seen myself as having any sort of magical practice before this book, which is why when people ask me if I'm a witch, I I kind of always say no, because I don't have a a practice. Um, It really took completing the project and and kind of like being asked that question, are you a witch numerous times over the years, for me to think of magic and witchcraft as something personal to me too. So how or in what ways do you hope that Major Arcana impacts or inspires those who pick it up? Mm. I hope that readers come away with a greater understanding and appreciation for people who identify as witches. With Major Arcana, I wanted to go beyond the tired tropes and stereotypes, the pointy hat and green skin and hook nose and the Disney witches and the Brothers Grimm that we're all you know familiar with. And with my pictures, insist that witches are real and important and worth serious consideration. Um, I don't see this book as some sort of definition of modern witchcraft, certainly not. Um, Who would I be to to define something that is not definable? Uh, I I more sort of hope that it's a a portal into this world and, and source of inspiration for my readers. Well, your book sounds beautiful, and I can't wait to get my hands on a copy. My copy is stuck somewhere in limbo right now, um, thanks to Brexit, but it sounds amazing. Um, (laughs) And I think we're almost out of time, but before we go, Frances, can you tell people where they can find Major Arcana and where they can go to learn more about you and your upcoming projects? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So you can buy Major Arcana Portraits of Witches in America from, you know, all the usual suspects, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. But I really encourage you to ask your local independent bookstore to to order you a copy or stock it if they don't already. And yeah, if you if you want to follow along, definitely give me a follow on Instagram. And uh, my handle is at Francis F. Denny. Um, and be sure if you do get a copy of the book to to post a, a picture of it and tag me so I see it because I love it. It's good for my ego. And I love, <laughs> I love reposting pictures on my stories of people with their copies of the book in their homes. 
Um, yeah, and I have my first museum show is coming up. It opens next week at the Southeast Museum of Photography in Florida. So um, I'll be posting information about that. And yeah, thank you both so, so much for having me. It's been such an honor to be on Magic and Alchemy with you. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, as well, for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode where we talk about the thing that we love the most and also our most requested subject so far, word witchery. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time.